The Naked Brand with your host, Mike Leon. Welcome to The Naked Brand. So my late father was a tailor and he had an expression that used to drive me crazy as a kid. And that expression went, son, everybody's selling something. And he used to reference whatever we were talking about at the time and add in that he sold suits. So if we were talking about education, he would say, I sell suits, they sell education. Or if we were talking about the rabbi, he'd say, they sell religion, I sell suits. And as I grew up, what made me realize was that he's right. We always are selling something. But if that's the case, what exactly are we buying? And that's where my favorite theory comes back into play. The drill versus the hole. And I'm so excited to talk to Brent Kloss, AVP of CAA Club Group, who might be the one guy who loves this theory as much, if not more, than I do. So, Brent, welcome to The Naked Brand. Great. Thank you for having me. Hey, really happy to have you here. So, you know what? Since we're always talking about brand stories, why don't we start off with your own brand story and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and your background. Sure. Um, I'm one of those probably... 80% of uh, marketers and, and brand people who fell backwards into the profession. I was uh, back in the day, uh, once upon a time, I was an, a fine art student who became a graphic designer and asked a, too many questions and evolved from that role into somebody who really was passionate about branding. And uh, I built my career from that art background. Um, and now I've landed at, as you said, an AVP in, in marketing at CAA Club Group, where I work on our club brands, our CAA Auto Club brands, our insurance company brands, and our travel insurance company brands. Awesome. So when we talk about the expression, marketers sell the drill, consumers buy the whole, what does that mean to you? Well, I think it separates the product from the, the, the purpose of the product. So, you know, the way I look at it is, Nobody needs a drill unless they need a hole. So the drill doesn't exist without the hole in terms of the customer's mind. Um, and from a branding point of view, where that's, you know, is really critical to me is this idea of empathy. Like it's the idea of like, oh, we need to understand why they need that. Not only, you know, that they need a hole as given that's they're searching for a drill, but where branding comes into play and brand building and storytelling is to start to build the, that, that, understanding that empathy for the audience to understand why they need that item. What, I guess, frankly, uh, to make an obvious analogy, what do they need to fill that hole? Like, why are they buying this thing? I like that. And, you know, I like how you mentioned empathy. And I wonder too, like, can empathy be the key, not just to establish connection, but also to potentially upsell? Because if we understand what they need in that moment, couldn't that lead to understanding what they might need two or three moments from now? Absolutely. Um, you know, I go back to that that idea that you were talking about with your your father. He didn't sell suits, not not from a brand perspective. From a functional perspective, he sold suits. But what he was really selling was making people feel good about themselves on a special occasion, right? Making somebody feel like you know they were in the job they want, not the job they had. You know, there's a lot of different reasons why you'd buy a suit. Very few have to do with covering the loins. And I think when it when when it comes to to brand. It's that it's that same idea of trying to figure out and and build a story around the brand, around the product, so you, that you're not just doing it based on on features. When you're dealing when you when when people buy these things and that idea of upselling them, they they buy more or they buy the better or they commit to a company for emotional reasons, not for the attributes 
of the of the product itself. And I will take your analogy literally, drill versus hole, and you would just look at something like a, a DeWalt. DeWalt exists for professionals, but people like me who want to feel like I know what the heck I'm doing with a drill and want my neighbors to see me not with a Black & Decker, same company, by the way, but with a DeWalt so that I look credible to my cool neighbors, I think there's an aspect of, yeah, buying into the brand, buying into the story makes a, a massive difference in terms of the brands that we show affinity for because they have emotional resonance with me. So, yeah. I like that. So what's the first step then in starting to earn that trust so that we can sell the whole? Because I think about like friendships, like any friendships I've made over the years. And the, the, the first one, I think of like the, the, the first meetup of that friendship pretty awkward but like initially there's some form of exchange you know maybe we like each other's hats or t-shirts or whatever but that that leads to kind of one sort of step of trust which helps lead to the others so mm -hmm. how do you kind of see that playing out when it comes to kind of building that story that leads to the ability to really sell that whole well you know it, it's it's maybe i'm fortunate that i've landed in an organization that does this every day the entire brand trust that caa has comes from in many ways, a functional attribute of tow trucks. The brand, when somebody thinks of CAA, they think of, of, of rescuing somebody um, on, the side of the, on the side of the road. That immediately builds an emotional trust. You know, that, that experience builds re not only uh, trust, but relief in, in, in the person who needs the help. And I think, you know, while that's an obvious example, I think that first functional interaction if we believe the idea that a, prom, a brand is a promise made and a promise kept, I build small moments of trust that lead to larger moments of trust and expand what the meaning of trust is. We go from, I trust that this tool will work for me and I'll trust that it'll work for me again. That becomes, I trust that this thing worked for me and this other thing that's similar from that same company will work for me. But eventually, for the companies that we really endorse, you could be selling chalk and cheese. I trust you for this, but I'll trust you for anything you are selling me. So those companies that get to that point have a really strong differentiated bond with their, their clientele. I think one company I admire a lot is like Dyson. If they trust you for the vacuum, I'll, you can sell me the fan you can sell me the curling iron now you can sell me the hair dryer because the vacuum works so well are there any cautionary tales in that because i love what you're saying and it reminds me like i know both you and i are big fans of improv and big, big fans of the tenant of yes and but does there kind of get to a point where yes and kind of leads to like if if, if it, you know a company rolls something out that's a little bit too off the mark where are some of the, the watchouts around that? Well, I think you, you have to look at how far you're stretching the elastic. So you, you always have to start. The, the yes and idea from it was it applies to branding starts from the core. Starts from how, what do people think of us now? And then how do I want my audience to think of me? And then how far I can stretch that. The problem is sometimes we treat our consumers as one lump homogenous group that says, well, we, we built, we're, we're really credible in this area. So we don't have to tell everybody about that. They'll make that, right. they'll make that Inf inference. It's the assumed inference that, uh, that they'll 
link the brand trust you've built in one area or in one product to another. And if you if you skip that step, even with things that are sort of related and make sense, you can't assume that it makes sense to that consumer because they might think of you, the brand lives in their mind. So they're not going to, unless they think of you in that way, it could cause some real strong disconnect. And, you know, um, in other in other ways, they, they think of you so strongly for one thing. And, and it's not even a bad thing. It's like so... You know, you're so known for, you know, McDonald's, so known for burgers that when they put out pizza, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, but it's not because they weren't credible for pizza. It's not about the pizza. It's about you're a burger place and I've put you in this little mental file folder in my brain so that when I'm making decisions around where to buy a burger, you know, McDo's is going to be high on the list. When I'm making a decision around pizza, you're, you're just, you're, my file structure gets interrupted. And so that, you know, that would be a great, now it's nostalgic. Now people are like, you know, there's rumor that they might bring back the pizza at McDonald's and everybody's like, yes, bring back the old thing <laughs> and bring back the McDonald's pizza because those, those, those are part of our, our history as consumers. Maybe <laughs> sometimes we get pretty nostalgic about the, the, the brand misses. hundred percent. Well, it's interesting. Cause like, I remember when, when pizza first launched and you're right, like it was, it was a pretty big miss by a lot of standards. But then, like, remember a, a, another massive entry for um, for McDonald's, which was entering the coffee market. Mm. And at mm. that point, you know, the story that was told around that was, hey, we already got you for breakfast. You're already coming in and you're getting your Egg McMuffin. So why not stick around and get coffee? And that seemed like a more believable story. Yep. So in that case, like, where do you think that story really stood up and really resonated people with? where maybe the pizza story didn't as much. Well, there was a couple of things with it is that it was related to, you know, audience that they were already having just like McDonald's, you know, that was an offer to a, an audience, the parent of the child who wants the burger. So there's, there was more choices for adults. They were able to, you know, move their, their offering slightly by offering things like salads and coffees. And it made it made some sense you know, to get, and they are always a company that you could, you, you know, always a company that you can expect them to try new things. And so people are, are more than willing to try anything they, they sort of put out and judge how it fits in afterwards. Cause I'd never think with, with a company like that, that's built such a strong brand that they won't get the trial. It's, will they get the retention over the long t- term? And so they're willing in the lesson for other companies is, well, I'm willing to just try you for the, this, this other thing. But it doesn't mean because you're strong in one area that I'll commit to keep going, but the coffee's right. good. And so if the coffee's yeah. good, sure, I'll buy the coffee. And if it's the sh- lineup for that coffee shorter than Tim Hortons, I'm in. I'll do that too, right? So I think they, they, they finding those, those parts to stretch into and to, to experiment in will get the trial and the brand only gets you the try it doesn't get you the keep like not like not when you're introducing a product then over time it's building that beyond the product in terms of like how does that product make me feel what's the experience in the restaurant a whole bunch of factors come into play you know it's it's funny because it brings to mind another aspect that i think is so closely tied to selling the whole and that's the idea of brands being these community hubs and CAA does a wonderful job of it. And I think of like another brand like Red Bull, 
where like, you know, you can go on Red Bull's YouTube channel and you can watch like all sorts of really interesting things that don't directly have a link to the product, but at the same time have everything to do with Red Bull. Talk to me about that strategy, because does that ever run the yeah. risk of becoming too far afield or is community such a huge part of just creating that 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 hole and selling that? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Red Bull because I think what they put out there is probably like the polar opposite of, say, what a, a company like CAA would put out there in terms of the type of content. But where they overlap really nicely, it's a, it's a good uh, comparative, is in that sense of building community. You know, if we're talking about the drill in the hole, what we're selling is as a, as a membership organization. And, and people sometimes forget that CAA is first and foremost a me- membership organization. It is that idea of, of belonging and shared experiences and a shared view of the world and a shared mindset is what creates belonging. And that's what how communities are built. Um, so yeah, Red Bull does a fantastic job of you know their adventure style content that builds you know like-minded you know bring people together around around the same sort of ideas even if they're not participating in it you know i watch p- plenty of youtube parkour uh, videos on during covid <laughs> because but I, i'm not you know i'm not jumping off the side of a building but it's intriguing to me and the, and red bulls in a lot of those videos so and at the same time like a caa absolutely it's there's so many ways to build that community and think about how what being a membership organization is but i think that's even for a good lesson for companies that aren't membership driven right people still rally around a brand and people are want to belong to something we're inherently want to find like-minded people and back you know to the drill analogy when you see somebody out else with a dewalt drill there's a credibility there credibility is kind of this little mini community where you go past each other you know you're like oh you're buying a dewalt i'm buying dewalt so we're we're both good at this home repair thing because we're why would we not be buying why would we buy anything (laughs) else right we clearly we must be like birds of a feather if we're both buying that same product wearing that same label on our chest so the content helps keep that narrative going The, the content um marketing keeps that narrative storytelling going it's true. And, you know, it's always interesting to see examples. And, you know, DeWalt's a great one. I mean, Apple's a really good one where that community brings people to a place where they're so staunchly loyal. They'll fight for that brand and they'll do it for free. Yeah. How rare or how yeah. achievable is that? I think I think it's achievable. I think it, it, with certain with certain audiences, I think you go past a point at some point where you grow to a position where the under the are the arguments about the underdog become kind of ludicrous. We've passed that right. with, with Apple, right? Of like, and another thing, I'm like, well, who's arguing about Apple being like, <laughs> like, like, you know, the underdog or, or having that affinity. It's like bands in the eighties when you're arguing about who knew about the <laughs> Island Femmes first, right? It's like, we're past that. Like, Apple's just in <laughs> everybody's house, but you can see that story goes as long be long after the reality. The story of the Apple brand and the passion and the and the empathy for the underdog, and for like Apple being for the creative mindset and all those at brand attributes have lived far past 
the reality of what that organization has become and the ecosystem that they created for the people that did have that passion for them. But that's that's now an every man's brand. Yeah. Yeah. And it it you know it 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 sets an interesting bar. So this is really cool. And and there, there so there's one aspect I want to talk to you about this too, about what happens then? Because I think about Apple's history, and you know, this is the part that a lot of Apple fans don't like talking about. But you know, they had Newton, like they yeah, had, they you know, they had yeah, they a whole bunch of failures. But you know, that's clearly a part of life, and life is a brand. So if you're an iconic brand and you've achieved that status, and you you fall down over something, what do you do? Like, is that the beginning of the end, or is that just kind of par for the course in life in the big city of an iconic brand? I, th- I think it, you you have to learn from it. I would take like let's uh, a good example is that that Newton example. Newton is New, Newton was an example of the technology overriding the consumer. It was a cool idea when you write it on paper and say this meets the needs of the consumer to help them do you know organize their life schedules and all the rest that the Newton could do. But then the technology couldn't actually live up to the promise. Now you've got a disconnect between your drill and the hole. You literally, the drill doesn't drill that hole. And if you make enough mistakes like that, your brand isn't truthful. Your brand isn't isn't uh, a reflection uh, mirror that's held up to your organization. So I think it is. There's a lot. You know, people will for, will forgive that if Dyson comes out with something that is not as good as something else or that they, they're committed to improving that over time, um, you know, they'll allow for that. Their handheld vacuums, you know, have sort of gotten better over time and, but their brand commitment to improving the quality has never wavered. So I can right. forgive that, but a product that is sold as solving a problem, but the product never actually solves that problem. That's where you, that's where the cautionary tale is, right? You know, I, I I'd imagine too. It's also, you know, you innovate true to your brand. You also apologize and react true to your brand. Totally. Gap's such a phenomenal example because you remember when they pop, like they they put out this new logo and just like the world went crazy yeah. pissed for it, and then they <laughs> then they walked it back three days later, but. <laughs> At least they stayed true to what they were trying to do with their consumers to say, look, we messed up. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes you just, you sort of, I, and I think the thing is with, with, with something like the gap, I think that's just maybe a company that not really fully understanding what their sort of brand loyalty landscape is like what their, you know, what their consumers feel about, that organization um, and, or maybe they didn't know the depth of that um, feeling. So probably worst problems to have, they handled that so authentically and so sincerely that it probably created more endorsement or more engagement and loyalty from their, their customers. Um, so that's definitely took a bad situation and, and made it pretty positive. Yeah, it was a good yeah. example. Yeah, that was a really interesting one. So we've we've talked a lot about empathy and we've talked a lot about community. I mean, obviously, you know, the last 14 months has shown that in spades. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any kind of like if we were creating a playbook right now around just like how to be a community-driven brand during great times and during bad times like COVID, yeah. what would kind of go into that playbook? 
Well, I think the, the, the biggest thing is finding ways to help that are true to your, to your organization. I think the, the thing that, you know, we've seen good and bad. I've seen amazing examples. Some, so many companies out there doing the right thing and you're so proud of what they've done or the way that they've messaged, messaged things. And then you've seen just disasters. But I think what it comes down to is, is one of authenticity and sincerity and saying, well, how does this brand, how does my, by deeply understanding what your consumer thinks of you, you know your opportunities to help. And, and sometimes, you know, I always say like, I'm often see myself as the person, personal brand. If somebody's going through some hard times, you know, death in the family, I, I don't know what to say or do. I go wash the dishes. And if you're a brand <laughs> that isn't going to be on the entertainment committee, or isn't going to make everybody feel better, or you cannot make the difference, and people don't think of you being that brand that can make that big difference, just go wash the dishes. Just shut up <laughs> and go wash the dishes. That'll help. And I'm exceptionally proud of my organization because in some regards, we did some things, and other times, we washed the dishes. We went and, 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 and made sure that frontline workers had free towing. We made sure to you know deliver PPE to... Uh, with some of the charitable organizations that we've been involved with those kinds of things. It's like, sometimes you just in these good times, the harder times, just go wash, just go wash the dishes, help out, be there, be kind. Um, and brands trying to use it as an opportunity are, are in a, 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 on a dangerous edge because if you slip off the edge of what your brand really is, it's, it's going to harm your organization. And it's just going to appear inauthentic and untrue. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I'm really ex uh, excited. I can't use excited and COVID in the same sentence, but I am, <laughs> I am, I am optimistic <laughs> that, I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but brands are behaving very authentically and very, you know, there is, there is some good stories out there. But at the same time, the audience is changing very rapidly. Yeah. And if you don't have the phone number of an anthropologist right now and you're in charge of a company's brand, you should get the phone number of an anthropologist because understanding where people are and what the behaviors are that are going to be here for the next few years is going to be really critical as any company builds their marketing strategy and brand strategy. Absolutely, it will. So first off, you got to trademark washing the dishes and you got to create a podcast with that name. That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just doing the right thing, right? Just be there. Uh, absolutely. You know, the anthropologist angle is interesting because, um, you know, we talk a lot about psychographics. You know, what do people value the most? What's important to people? Um, you know, in an age where everybody can access information so fast and they can access other people's perspective so fast, why is it so critical? Like, why do we need an, an anthropologist on retainer? Why do we need to understand what people value so much? To really be a good brand because because what we're finding is in in the work that sort of i've done human behavior is, is fairly predictable over the long term much like the stock market right. like, but events happening really can affect the speed and the uh, uh and and the swings of how people think what that kind of research or that kind of thinking gives you is it gives you a way to look at the world around you, your competitors, how people interact with brands, how people interact with each other, and make those long-term predictions. They give you that insight to be able to say, 
I think that it's, it's not scientific and necessarily sometimes in terms of absolute in the predictions, but you're going to start to see indicators before they happen. The biggest freeing piece of looking at the human from a brand perspective, I mean, obviously for brand authenticity, it's really critical, is because it stops the me tooisms. It stops the looking at my competitors, looking at my industry. If you're looking at your competitors and looking at your industry and trying to see and predict where that thing is going, you're always going to be one step behind. If you're looking at the consumer and saying, what is the hole that they need? What is it that they value? How is their mindset shifted in comparable situations and decision-making and you know life interactions and how they work and their beliefs and all the rest of it, you'll be able to start to go, I know where I need to be to meet those needs. It's like I think Gretzky said, right? I'm not, I'm not chasing the puck. I, I'm where the puck is going to. An anthropologist right. gives a brand the opportunity to be where the puck is heading. So how could that apply? And, and how can we take some learnings from that when we talk about the internal brand? Should we be looking at it in a similar way? And how do we sell the whole when we're looking at retaining talent, when we're looking at recruiting talent, when we're looking at creating this meaning so that people can kind of help the organization build their own story? Well, I mean, I, th I think with any organization, the external, you're always better off at very least if your external view, the external view that you've manifested matches the internal. So that when somebody or joins your organization, they're like, hmm, this is what I predicted. This is kind of what I thought it would be. Um, and then honestly, what happens is by a by having this really strong, understandable external brand that matches the internal, when you're when you're attracting talent, you're attracting people who have affinity for your brand. That's amazing, right? I don't want to show. I don't want somebody showing up for the first day at Apple if I work in there with a the Samsung phone in their pocket. Like you <laughs> out, right? And the likelihood of not okay, of, right? The likelihood of somebody doing that probably goes way down because they have that affinity for it. So I think building from the intern inside out is, is, is critical to make sure that your brand is understood by your employees. They live to the attributes and the personality traits and, and the sort of archetype and the character of your brand. And then it sort of becomes a, an engine, a self-propelling engine that goes, I'm attracting good talent who help build the brand because they have affinity and belief in it, which helps that brand externally live up to the promises that we're making and deliver against it and deliver products and services and solutions and marketing that all line up to it. And then the more you do that and the more you make sure that everything you do is authentic to the brand, whether internal or external, the engine just works. The companies just become more functional. All right. This is fantastic. So I have one last question, but it's, okay. it's kind of a one question and then one B. So kind of treat it as a package deal. So when we think about the drill versus the hole, and when you kind of look to the future a little bit, so put on your, uh, you know, put, put your crystal ball out. What do you feel like for consumers are holes right now that may have the potential to become drills over time? And then the one B to that is for you as a brander and as a marketer, what gets you really excited about that, about always trying to kind of understand the consumer so that you can truly sell them the whole? Okay, so I guess I'll start with what's exciting about where we're at. For me, it's the unpredictability of it. It's sort of, we are all figuring things out together. There is a sense of a universal truth right now that we have all kinds of stuff not in common, 
but we've got this really big thing, COVID, that is sort of connecting us. And then it's 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 almost like this big reset that that will sort of you know be a very interesting time to market and brand in. And I think what's happening when the whole as it let's go back to 2018, 2019. We had a lot of holes, a lot of different ways that a company could resonate with their audiences. I think going forward, what's intriguing about it is we'll have very similar needs. And I think a lot of things have changed over COVID. A lot of those behaviors will snap back because it's really hard to break those behaviors. Do I think people won't return to grocery stores? No, people will go return to grocery stores even if they're buying groceries online. But there's certain aspects of that whole that you're talking about that won't. Connection and belonging and working with brands or, or buying brands that I can truly deeply trust to help facilitate those things like connection and belonging and those things that I've missed, those are going to become much more universal and more valued. So the brands that lead from mission and the brands that lead from the human truths, the human beliefs, that matter most to most people, those things will not get lost because I'm trying to sell the drill. So that I just to finish the thought, think about is this, I think marketers will get, and I hope I get better of remembering that they're not buying the whole, I have, they're buying the whole that's sitting in their kids swing set that they're making them. And that is where yeah. brands can have a greater resonance to know that was the human condition that I can be part of and solve for not just it as a function because that was a shortcut you could take before it's like no you have to show me that you support me and people like me you have to give me a sense of belonging and belief and i have to commit to, i want to commit to brands that are doing the right thing yeah absolutely huge job for brands these days Brent, thank you so much. Such an awesome conversation and a topic we could continue to unpack. So thanks Absolutely. a lot for joining us. Yeah, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it a lot. Awesome. Well, you know what? We'll definitely revisit this for sure. And for everyone checking in, please continue to subscribe. Please continue to send us ideas on topics that you want to talk about. We're going to keep going with a lot of brand-centric topics. We're going to talk a lot about topics like AI, food, play, um, we're talking about sustainability in brands. So keep checking back in and thank you for checking out The Naked Brand.